John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. You are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you that what I have seen in the father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. Now let's skip down to verse 48. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Now skip down to verse 54. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Pray with me. Heavenly Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for being who you are and creating us just to love us. God, bless the rest of this time. Bless the opening of your word and bless each one of the viewers at home watching this. May they be touched by you today through this message. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us together today here online. Uh, I'm excited about continuing to share with you and getting this opportunity, uh, unique as it is, to be able to connect with you uh, online is very different, but yet at the same time, it is its own uh, exciting venue. And I'm excited today to be sharing with you uh, around Palm Sunday as well as around the passage of Scripture that Eric just read 
If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. What an amazing passage of Scripture from John chapter 8. I'm going to be referring to that quite a bit throughout the entire message this morning. So if you want to just leave that open on your phone, on your computer, uh, in your uh, laps there on your own uh, Bible, the old school way, uh, that's great. And uh, we'll be referring back to that. And I think that you will find this passage coming alive to you as we work our way through it. Speaking of working our way through it, my goodness, uh, what a crazy world we live in. As I talk with more and more of you, whether it be phone or text, um, we are all kind of saying a lot of the same things, which would include things along the lines of, what a strange world we're living in, and can you believe how different things are from just a month ago versus where they are today? It is really a different thing, and week by week things change, and we know that that's happening, but... I just want to make sure that you understand that even as things change and feel uncertain, that God is in control. And because of that, we, we believe that we should be careful but not fearful. And as we continue to seek him in the midst of this, I believe that God is at work. I've actually spoken to different pastors, friends of mine, and we grasp and understand that things are not the way that they used to be, that's for sure, but yet at the same time, they might be a different and a new way uh, as far as whatever we have to experience moving forward. We may be able to find a new way to reach people with the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, you saw that video that we played. We're going to be having Easter service online. Yes, we're only one week away from Easter, if you can believe it. And oh, I've always loved seeing the scores and scores of kids running around and hunting Easter eggs. Unfortunately, that's not something that we can do uh, and, and still be responsible. But we are going to have an online service and we want you to be a part of inviting your friends and your family to join. And you know, as as much as I hate to admit it, it's possible that some of them that wouldn't get up and come might get online and watch. So I encourage you, this video is going to be coming out and a link to it uh, via our church Facebook page, as well as probably a link to that uh, via our YouTube channel that you could share off. And uh, we want you to encourage others to be online because as we know, the truth is, is that if there is a single Sunday that people are going to be tuning in online in our new world, uh, that that would be on Easter Sunday. So let's be taking advantage of that. Let's share our faith in that way. And uh, let's also not forget to be continuing to hold up people. We have a lot of people in our own congregation, the EHC community. We have a lot of nurses and people that are, uh, you know, dealing with people face-to-face. -face. We even have one lady who is out there in the parking lot tent that they have set up to do the drive-through testing. And so we know that that's a serious concern and a serious issue. And we want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to hold those people up in prayer, not knowing what the next few weeks hold, we do know who holds those next few weeks, so let's continue to lift one another up in prayer. And you've probably even heard this past week that um, they are saying every time you go out, you should probably wear a mask. And so I will tell you that there are a lot of things as far as different kinds of masks that are showing up online, pictures of people getting out. And some of you are doing it well, and some of you are not doing it so well. And I want to just be the voice of reason. I want to be the person who helps you to understand how to do wearing masks out in public well versus not. So 
I've got a couple of pictures as, as a little tutorial for you. I want you to kind of follow along and make sure you take notes if you're one of these people, all right? So you can take a look at this mask here. This is not good. I just want you to know. Now, the, the chest hair showing and the shirt being unbuttoned to your navel, I'm for that. I'm, I'm with that. That's a great idea. I love it, especially if you can't grow hair here. At least show them you're still growing it here. You know what I mean? But this is not a good look for you. Don't be somebody who's trying to call attention to yourself with your face mask, all right? So don't do that. Next one, let's take a look here. Uh, the guy on the left, I mean, my goodness, come on. As my daughter says, rule number one is never play yourself, but congratulations, guy on the left, you played yourself. I mean, you look like a, a dog, so be careful with what you choose to do, okay? And the lady on the right, hey, I, I'm all for those beautiful boots, but let me just say the sexy boots probably don't work with an outbreak suit. It's just me. All right, maybe I'm wrong, but I think personally, you're probably giving something away with the outbreak suit that is not overcome by the boots. So just consider you're probably putting yourselves and your ankles at risk for not a lot of return. You know what I mean? All right, let's check out this next one here. Uh, some of you people, you have Halloween masks and you think it's okay. It's not okay. This is scary. Like if you see a small child, you're going to scar them for life. Don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. Please, all right? Let's go to this next slide. Speaking of uh, small children, I believe, oh, no, no, this is not for small children, but I'm just going to be the, the public service announcement. You may have a problem if this is what your mask looks like. If you've put in a hole in the middle for your cigarette, that may be an issue that you need to address, okay? All right, let's check out this next one. This is where we're speaking of children. I don't want to tell you how to raise your kids, Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell you as a parent who has a youngest child who is 19, I'm already paying for some of the psychological counseling and healing that I inflicted on my kids. They're not that forgiving, really. Their children are not. They're going to hold you responsible for a lot of things, about half of which you actually did. And this is probably not a good idea for you to do your kids this way. Whatever you think is a good mask for them, be careful and cautious and you know, you may even want to just let them do their own, like this next slide here. This next slide, they probably have more on the ball than you do. Uh, so just let them do their own thing and encourage them and uh, take a picture and send it to the grandparents, all right? Let's check out this next one. We're getting close to the end. Some household items just do not work. You need to know that. Um, you think that these things are good and they're probably not really doing the same level of protection that you want. And you got to be very, very careful. And then lastly, I mean, really seriously give thought as to whether or not you want to go that route. Uh, that's a real problem that you don't want to be involved in. So these are our public service announcements. I hope that you can smile a little bit today. I heard one of you said that you laughed out loud uh, at one of the jokes that I had had, you know, given a couple weeks back, and that just made my entire month. I just want to thank you so much, St. Luke. I appreciate it, buddy. Okay, so we're going to keep going, and we're going to talk a little bit. Actually, last week, if you were online and you followed along, you know uh, that we talked a little bit about the photographers out in Yellowstone, and I told a little story. You can go back and check that out probably a few minutes into last week's message, but the idea is is that you can sometimes get carved off the pack. Like I told a story about the elk pack that we saw in Grand Teton. And it's just a beautiful scene, but a pretty grisly scene at the same time. And we talked about how, you know, if we're not careful, our enemy comes and kind of carves us off of the pack and we find ourselves isolated and alone. 
I shared a great, uh, a great quote from Pastor T.D. Jakes, Bishop T.D. Jakes up in uh, the Dallas area. And he said, isolation is the last step before destruction. And if we begin to think to ourselves, no one loves me, no one understands, no one cares about me. If those are the thoughts that are going through your head, more than likely you're just about a step away from being isolated and then about one more step away from being destroyed. And so I just want to encourage you. As crazy as it sounds, the things that we have been dealing with may give us the opportunity to be closer and more reliant on our church family than ever before. Our schedules might be slowing down, but our connection can deepen and grow. We've already mentioned the idea of the Zoom classes that we're doing. We're going to be doing those this coming Wednesday night. Starting around 7.10 to 7.15, you can jump on the room and then we'll be done before 8 p.m. So we encourage you not to miss out on being a part of those Zoom classes. But I believe uh, Eric already mentioned uh, just a few moments ago in the uh, announcements that we're going to be having Spirit Week at EHC. And we're going to send out some email details. And so if you are not connected, you cannot participate. But this is something that different schools are doing as well as some of the different churches. They're doing these things with a hashtag and sending out some great pictures, some encouraging ones, some that are very meaningful, and then some that are just great and make you smile. So we want you to be a part of Spirit Week. We need you to help it be a success, you know. If we have a a theme during the week, we're going to need you to send in pictures and uh, that kind of thing. And I'll probably even be sharing some of those best picks on the video that we will share. So please be a part of EHC Spirit Week this week and make sure to check your email for details. It's our way of staying connected in the midst of this. So let's keep going today in the Who Do You Think I Am series. And today we're talking in the fifth uh, installment, Before Abraham Was, I Am. And you can even see the seven different uh, statements that we're going to be talking about. And I even put in and included the dates that we've already been through. Uh, we, we talked about the bread of life on the 15th. We talked about the light of the world on the 22nd. We talked about the good shepherd last week. And then today I'm going to be speaking about before Abraham was I am. And you can see a couple of the others that are yet to come. All of them are going to be things that will be an encouragement and a blessing to you. And so I encourage you to be a part of this. But this particular statement that I'm sharing and that I'm going to be including in this seven I am group is this one before Abraham was I am. And this is a passage that some people do not necessarily include in the I am statements of Jesus. But R.C. Sproul, a great theologian and a great Bible teacher and preacher on his podcast that he shared had a great quote that I wanted to give to you and wanted to share with you. I think this should be included in the list of I am's and I personally think that this is the most dramatic of all of them and this is from the Renewing Your Mind podcast and what Jesus was saying in the passage of scripture that you heard Eric read just a few moments ago was that when Jesus speaks to his opponents and his and his enemies that he's speaking to people that have made themselves his enemies, not that he wanted to be their enemies. But as he speaks to them, he says, you know what? Abraham rejoiced to see that I was going to come in the flesh, that I, the son of God, would come and I would fulfill all of the scriptures. And in the process of him saying that, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. And then the Pharisee said, what? You're not even 50 years old. 
Now, from what I can tell, about 50 years old was kind of retirement age in that day and time in the biblical times. And that's what I've been hearing from different Bible scholars. So in other words, you're not even retirement age and Abraham has been long, long gone. But notice what Jesus says. He says, before Abraham was, and he doesn't say, I was, or I had been. He says, no, 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 no. Before Abraham was, I am. He's saying that very same construct that we've been talking about, the, the tetragrammaton, the, the Yahweh, the eternally existing one that is caught up in the name of God himself. It's even seen in Exodus chapter 3, that passage of scripture that we have referred to back and forth many different times, Exodus chapter 3, and it says, who am I going to say is the one who sent me? And he says to Moses, I am who I am is sending you. Tell the Israelites it is I am that is sending you to them. And so as we look at these passages of scripture, Jesus speaks in the same way when he says before Abraham was back then, I am. I continue to exist before he was there. I continue to exist during his lifetime. And ever since he was there, I was still in existence. There never ceased to be a time when I was not there before, during, or after Abraham, much less everything else. And you can see that his opponents did not miss this. As a matter of fact, at the end, uh, they picked up stones, the Bible says, to stone him because they knew that he had just committed blasphemy. By equating himself to be with God or to be God himself, he had placed himself in their crosshairs and they began to pick up stones. As a matter of fact, if you look at John chapter 8, verse 56 through 59, you can see that entire thing that we just saw a moment ago. And he said, you know, this is who I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from them and from the temple grounds. And so here's what we know. If you read this passage of scripture, it can almost sound a little bit like a, a playground fight. Like two kids fighting back and forth on this idea of a playground going back. Well, my dad is this and your dad is that and my dad can beat up your dad and all that. That's not what's going on, but it can almost read like that. But I want to tell you some very important things that you can take from this passage and grasp and go forward with. And let's begin with something to learn. Here is our something to learn. That Jesus attacks the worldview of the Jewish leaders. He is a person, and that worldview is, is that a person is not born into right standing with God. This is so important and so vital. Here's what they are basically thinking. Because we're God's chosen people, we will always be God's chosen people. No matter what we do, no matter how we act, no matter whether we care about God or not, we are God's chosen people, so we will always continue and always remain God's chosen people. And Jesus was like, I can't believe that you think that you are pleasing to God when you don't care about the people that God cares about. You don't care about the things that God cares about. You don't pursue the righteousness. As a matter of fact, these are really terrible people. And I don't want you to miss this. As they go back and forth, Jesus does not back down from these people. And he keeps going at them. And he goes at them strong. And he goes at them hard. But just don't miss this. The Pharisees were not good 
but misguided people. They were not people who were good people, but just kind of got off track a little bit. These are some really terrible people. As a matter of fact, they're power hungry. They're oppressive bullies. They're rotten to the very core of who they are. And when that is true, Jesus doesn't let up. He goes hard after these people. And if you go back and look in John chapter two, you will see that these are the very same kind of people that were there and taking advantage of people, standing in between them and God. In John chapter two, verse 13 through 15, you begin to read that passage and I believe it is on your screen. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem and in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at that table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. And he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. What happens here in this passage of scripture is Jesus doesn't lose his temper, but he sure uses his temper to accomplish something that is born from righteous indignation. He turns over the tables and in doing so, they cannot keep selling these bad animals that they have already pre-approved as good enough for God. And not only that, but they are taking and changing the money and they're getting a horrible exchange rate. You know, they'll say, we'll take this filthy, dirty Greek money that you've got here, this Roman money that you're taking. We're going to use it, but we're going to give you good, clean Jewish money. But unfortunately, it's going to take five of these to take one of these. And so you get soaked twice. You give all kinds of crazy money for a bad animal that you could have brought from your own flock with a much better situation. But the problem is, is that the priests have to approve it. Well, guess who are the priests? They're the people that are the Pharisees and the scribes and the high priests. They're in it for themselves. They're terrible people. They're the kind of people that turn people off to God. And Jesus said, I've had it up to here with this kind of business going on in my father's house and I'm not gonna stand for it anymore. And so these are the power-hungry bullies that are keeping people apart from God when they're supposed to be the very ones that are pointing people to God in the first place. It's a crazy thing. But here's what we know. They are also the kind of people that direct some incredible venom at Jesus in this long uh, back and forth that we see here in John chapter 8. The venom is real, and I want to tell you a little bit about it. I've taken three different passages from John chapter 8, and I want to tell you about them very, very quickly. So let's go to John chapter 8, and you see here, they ask him, that's uh, the Jewish uh, leaders and the people that are against him. They ask him, where exactly is your father? And then in verse 41, they come back and they said, but we're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father that we have is God himself. Where does this come from? It comes from the fact that Joseph, more than likely already dead, is somebody that everybody knew was not the real father of Jesus. And in this time, we can barely even wrap our heads around the stigma around somebody becoming pregnant out of wedlock. But that's what happened with Mary, and we know about that. And in the process of knowing about all of that, they call it to Jesus, and they call him out on it. Something that, by the way, the child has nothing to do with. And so here, in this situation, they're calling him out and making him seem like he is less than for something that he had nothing to do. Anybody who picks on someone in that way is a pretty low individual, in my opinion, I think. you know. And then you go even a little further, and then verse 48, the Jews answered and said, 
Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now, back in those days, the Jewish people hated the Samaritans above all, all others and above all else. They hated them because they were what you would call a mixed race. They were the Jewish race as well as the Gentile race, you know? And so the Gentiles, they know they're bad people because they're not the good and holy Jews, you know? You can hopefully hear the sarcasm coming through the camera. And so the good and holy Jews want to keep themselves apart from the Gentiles. Oh, those terrible people. But those who did not keep themselves and instead intermarried, they had a special degree of hatred for them. It was supposed to be about following God and staying pure in God's sight. It was not a racial thing. It was always a religious and spiritual and God-connected thing. But they are making it something that it was not. And they're calling Jesus a Samaritan, their highest form uh, of, uh, of an insult, as well as demon-possessed, a person who is not even in his right mind. They're calling these things to Jesus. They're pretty, they're pretty bad people in every possible way. But these are also people that are not homogenous. And can I say something very quickly? The problem for most of us, and sometimes even myself is, is that we get to the place where we think of people as homogenous, that every person thinks the same way. Well, they're from that generation, so they think this way and act this way. That's not always true. Or they're from this part of the country, so they always act this way or whatever. That's not always true. Every person is an individual and every person deserves to stand on their own two feet and not have to overcome some sort of baggage that you brought, not them. And so as we look at this passage of scripture, Jesus speaking to his opponents, it's a perfect reminder as we go back and see one of the most famous passages of scripture and one of the most famous uh, verses of scripture is in John chapter three. And John chapter three, the one that includes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whole conversation is actually a conversation with a Pharisee with a person named Nicodemus that we know that was there to ask Jesus questions about himself and about his teaching. And as he learns about Nicodemus, he speaks to him directly and they have a conversation. And so Jesus is not against the conversation. What he is against is somebody coming at him and not listening and hearing from God himself. And here's what Jesus wants to make sure that we know and that we understand. And this is our big idea today, that Jesus alone brings freedom in every single part of our lives. Jesus alone brings freedom in every part of our lives. In other words, when the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. You are free to the uttermost. You are free to every part and piece of your life. And so this is our big idea, and I want to talk a little bit about what Jesus is saying when he's saying, before Abraham was, I am. So here's the very first thing that Jesus is speaking about. He says that we all need a Savior, no matter what we think our morality is or what we think our nationality is. You see, these men had faith that since they were Jews, then they were God's chosen people. They also thought themselves to be on a higher moral ground than anyone else. But what God himself was saying in Jesus Christ's person was this very thing. You think you're for me, but you're not. You think you know me, but you don't. You think you're a child of Abraham, but you might be the lineage of Abraham, but you have nothing to do with who Abraham was. 
He says, before Abraham was, I am. I know Abraham. I saw him. I know every part of his being. And everything that you claim about yourself is nothing like what Abraham was. Don't miss it. Don't forget it. Don't find yourself thinking because of my nationality, because of my morality. I'm good enough. You know, hey, I'm good enough. Well, man, Jesus is really going to be sad I mean, why did he even come if we didn't all need a savior? Seriously, do you think that you and I are good enough? Because I know for a fact that I am not good enough to save myself. If you haven't clued in, if you are still a person who often says, well, I'm not as bad as old so-and-so, great. Who is old so-and-so again? And in the grand scheme, why do they matter? You and I compare ourselves sometimes, our morality, that we get up on like a high horse. We forget that that doesn't matter to God. That does not matter in the least to God. The most important thing that we grasp is, no matter who we are, where we're from, what we've done or what we haven't done, that God has provided a Savior because you needed it. And so did I. I need a Savior. I can't do it on my own. And so thank God that he sent his son to come and give me what I needed and couldn't provide for myself. And by the way, the reason that he was qualified was because he existed before time, because he stepped out of eternity and stepped into our world enough to lay his life down. This is who he was. This is what he did so we might be saved. And before you get it twisted, I want you to understand what Jesus said to those who are around him. He said to them, basically, if you've sinned, you are a slave to sin. Now, here's what I mean. Here's what Jesus means, and here's what I grasp and understand in my own person. I believe with all of my heart that the truth is, is that I can begin something, and I can begin to be a person who dabbles in a sinful thing or something bad, and it can become my master before I even grasp it or understand. It is so important that we grasp that we can become slaves to sin if we do not give ourselves fully over to God himself. And that's what they were saying. It's our nationality. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been a slave to anybody. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? Everyone who sins is eventually a person who becomes a slave to sin. But if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And yeah, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. I get it. You are of the physical line of the Jews, but you are looking for a way to kill me. You're not a spiritual person as much as you claim to be of God. You are not of God. You have no room for my word. The words that come directly from God is what he's saying. And last week I talked about that there are three items lost that oftentimes in Luke chapter 15, we can kind of look at the three different stories, the three parables that are shared. And those three stories tell about loss. The coin got lost by neglect. The sheep got lost by wandering and the son got lost by rebellion. Here is what I will tell you. The reason you need a savior is because you probably fall into at least one of these categories I would bet that more than likely you are like me. I've fallen into all three at least once in my life, probably at least once in the last year, okay? So I've gone my own way because of rebellion. I've gone my own way wandering. I've neglected the important things of God when I should have been paying closer attention. 
Here's what I would say to you. These are the reasons that you need a savior because by neglect or wandering or rebellion, you have found yourself as a slave to the things that you thought you had under control, but you didn't. They were controlling you. And so this is why we need a savior. Now, the second thing after just simply saying, I'm not going to be able to rely on my nationality or my morality, even if I'm a Jewish person and God's chosen people, it's not enough. Even if I am better than my neighbors or everyone else I know, it's still not enough. The second thing that Jesus is saying is this, that freedom comes from making and continuing to make right choices about who or that capital W, the who is our Lord. And this is what I'm trying to convey to you. Many times in the New Testament, the Bible has a, a, a tense of verb that basically means you begin an action and you continue it and you keep on doing it and you keep on doing it and you keep on doing it. In the Greek, it is called the aorist tense. A-O-R-I-S-T, aorist tense. And in this type of passage, when he talks about following God or walking in the light in 1 John, he doesn't mean walking in the light for a little bit of time or for a short span. He says, as you walk and continue to walk in the light, as you sacrifice and surrender and continue to sacrifice and surrender yourself to God. These are the things that bring you into fellowship with God. These are the things that keep you from becoming a slave to sin as he's already spoken about. And let me just say something real quick. All right, hopefully you'll remember it in this way. Y'all check out this picture that I've got here. Uh, you guys have all seen this movie, right? Forrest Gump, right? And you know as well that life is like a box of chocolates. I have no idea how good that sounds. Probably terrible because it sounded pretty terrible already. Probably not coming over YouTube, but I sounded great. Okay, I sounded terrific. It's just a problem with the connection, right? Now, what else does he say? Mama always said that stupid is as... Exactly, as stupid does, Right? Can I just tell you something? If you and I keep doing dumb things in our world and in our life and in our families and in our jobs and in our finances, if we keep doing dumb things, if we keep doing these things that put us in chains, it is not our decision and it's not a weakness of God. It is a lack of surrender and a lack of continuing in what we know we should do. For most of us, we begin something and we gain all of the benefits. And the problem is, is that we come to think to ourselves, well, I think I've got things under control, so I probably don't need to rely on God quite as much. And when Jesus speaks to his opponents and says, you're slaves to sin, and they're like, no, we're, we're good. We're good people. We're the good guys. And, and we're Jewish people at that, you know. And then he says, no, 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 you keep making bad decisions and choices that take you out of God's favor. And then you wonder why you don't have God's favor or presence in your life. I'm here to tell you that for us, we can't continually walk away from God without it having bad and negative effects on us. We are supposed to walk and continue walking in the light as he is in the light. And in the process of that, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses and keeps on cleansing us from all sin. That's from 1 John and so I just share with you, be careful that you don't make those same mistakes over and over that bring you out of God's favor. The third thing that we're talking about what Jesus is saying, the very third thing and the last thing that I want to share, as a man, and I put capital M, 
as a man different from every other that you've ever met. What you do with Christ is everything. What you choose to do, what you choose to believe about Christ is everything. I I said that idea of who you make Lord, the who or the who. You can choose the who, but it had better be the who with the capital W that you make Lord or else you are going to find yourself making lordship out of people who are not worthy of it, out of things that are not strong enough to sustain you or them. And here is what I would say, no matter what, you and I will always choose, so we had better choose wisely. And as a man who is clearly different than every other person that you've ever met, what are you going to do with Jesus? And if you think to yourself, well, Jesus is fine, he's good, he's just one of many, i got to ask you this question. Who is the one who you are going to choose because you will choose one above all else? As Jesus himself said, you will cling to one and hate the other, or you will despise the one and cling to the other, but you cannot serve God and this world that we live in. And I'm here to tell you for me and for you, the who that we must serve and that we must cling to is the who of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you why he's different than everyone else? We're going to talk a little bit about how different he is from you and I in just a minute in conjunction with Palm Sunday. But in this passage of scripture, I didn't put it up on a screen or a slide, but in this passage of scripture, he speaks directly to his opponents and he says, who among you can convince me or call me out on sin that I have committed? Now, (laughs) I'm going to tell you something. I don't ask that question. I sure don't ask it of my enemies. I don't even ask it of my wife. I mean, she's got a list, right? I mean, you've got a list. I've got a list. We understand. You don't ask, some, ask somebody, well, who in, who in this group or who among you would say that I've sinned? But what does Jesus say to his own enemies that hate him so much that they've called him every name they could? That they've cut him down in every possible way. But he says, well, who among you can tell me what I've done that's put me in enmity with God? Put me on the outs with God? Not a single one of them spoke up. Here's what we know about Jesus. He was the sinless, perfect son of God who stepped out of eternity and was your sacrifice and mine. And when he said, before Abraham was, I am. He hasn't changed. He's just stepped out and revealed himself in a new way. And for you and for me, he is our savior. No matter what our background, no matter what our morality is or is not, doesn't matter. He's the one who saves us. Saves us to give us a new walk and a new perspective, to set us free. The son sets free. That person is free to the uttermost, free indeed. And then we understand this about Jesus. He's different than everyone else. And can I just tell you, That even somebody, we go back to that Nicodemus passage in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus and Jesus are having this discussion, look again at what uh, what Jesus is being told by Nicodemus. He says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. No one can perform the signs that you're doing if God is not with him. In other words, even if we are against you, we can't deny that you're different. You heal people that don't deserve to be healed. You save them in ways that no one has ever been able to do before. You multiply fish and bread and give it to the poor, not for your own benefit, but for theirs alone. 
Not so you can be somebody in everybody else's eyes, but that their needs can be met. This is who Jesus is. This is who we are not. We're looking for angles. We are looking for leverage. We're looking for pats on the back. And Jesus is just doing things to be a blessing in God's name. This is why he's different and why we are not him and he is not us. And this is why we desperately need him in our lives. And in Palm Sunday, we are reminded that as Jesus walks that road into Jerusalem, he walks in with the full knowledge of a couple of things. The first one is, is that those people who are celebrating him are going to be people that do not celebrate him for the entire week. As a matter of fact, some of the voices that are being yelled and they're singing Hosanna to the son of David and they're screaming out Hosanna. Some of those very same voices are the same people that will be yelling out crucify him on Friday. And yet he walks in and he celebrates with those people because he has love and forgiveness and understanding for them that we can't even fathom or grasp. And by the way, he walks into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday knowing full well exactly what he's walking into. He knows that as he walks in on Sunday, he ends up dead on a cross and in a tomb on Friday. But he goes anyway. Not for himself, but for you and for me. This is why he's Jesus. And this is why he is different than any man you've ever met in your life. And can I just tell you, wherever you've been and whoever you've been, whatever your background and whatever you have done, it does not matter to him. He loves you. And if you've been the one who said Hosanna, but then said crucify, He still loves you. He does not want you to be cast out. He wants you to be brought into fellowship with him. And even these people in John chapter 8, his biggest opponents and his biggest critics and the mean, rotten to the core people, he says something to them that throws us a lifeline that we've got to grasp. And I want you to hear it very clearly. It's in John chapter 8, verse 27 through 30, and it's up there on the screen. It says, they did not understand that Jesus was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many believed in him. Here's what you have to grasp and what I want to communicate to you. He's telling them something that we need to hear. He's saying, there are things that you don't believe about me now. But when the Son of Man is lifted up, he calls himself the Son of Man. And when he talks about being lifted up, many people would have grasped that he was talking about being lifted up on a cross And he says to them, when I have been lifted up, you're going to understand things about me that you don't believe or understand now. In other words, hindsight will be 2020 for you. And when that happens, come to me because I'm ready to forgive. He comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. People are singing Hosanna. Some of the same are yelling crucify on Friday. 
And some of those very same people, I have no doubt in my mind, are in the crowd when Peter begins to preach on that very first Pentecost. And when he says, you need to repent for what you've done to Jesus and accept him as God's perfect son, the Messiah. The one who, when he said, before Abraham was, I am, was not lying, was not blaspheming, because he was telling the truth. Then come to him, and some of them did. I have no doubt whatsoever. Here is a beautiful reminder. You and I need a savior, no matter what. Jesus is that savior, and even when we have rejected him, even when we have called out crucify, when we were thought to be his friends, said we were his friends, he is willing and ready to forgive and welcome us back. It is beautiful to be reminded that this is who he is, and this is who we are not, and this is why we desperately need him so much. All right, so let me just share with you very quickly, in our world today, the coronavirus situation, and I, and I always try to bring back the messages to the things that are going on in your life. And I know that in many ways, things have paused. Things have stopped. Things have kind of felt like a, a pause button almost worldwide. Nothing happening on its regular schedules or regular times or regular levels of urgency. Everything's kind of slowed down and paused. And what I would just say is as bad as things are and as bad as things can be in the next few weeks or whatever changes, it would be a, a crime for us to have a, a, a moment to step out of our world and out of our lives and then not let God do a work in us. I mean, he literally has our attention and some of us, some ways that we have never given it to him before in ways that we are uncertain about the future. We realize that that need has always been there, but now it feels more urgent than ever. Here's what I would say. For you and for me, maybe it is time for us to, as we have stepped out of our normal routines, to step towards the God who provided a Savior, the God who stepped out of eternity so that he could reach you no matter who you've been where you've been, where you come from, or what you've said against him, it does not matter. He is that forgiving and that loving, and he wants you to be with him. Here is how you apply this message. Ask yourself what you've learned from our new normal. Just ask yourself, what have I learned already from my new normal? And can I just tell you something? Maybe you know that there's a habit in your life that needs to stop or needs to begin. Maybe there's an attitude that you have that has been the characteristic or even the mindset that you have for or against people or for or against situations. I don't know all that is happening in your world. Maybe you're making some decisions that you know are taking you down a path and maybe you should be very grateful for God hitting the pause button so you didn't go all the way past the point of destruction. I don't know what's happening in your world, in your private world, but here's what I do know. The God who loves you has given us a moment to rest and wait. And I would encourage all of us to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What is my new path that you want me to walk? Very quickly, I, I want to just say something. Uh, this is an old quote that I have shared many different times. And that is, when is the best time to plant a tree? 
Maybe you've heard me speak about it. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. (laughs) You may be somebody who says, oh, I can't make it right. I can't go back. Why would I even try? Here's what I would say. I used to work in hospice as a chaplain. I used to deal with a lot of people who were coming to the very end of their lives. And it is true that you can't undo a lifetime going in one direction. But I will say that I have never ever seen a family that did not appreciate at least one small gesture towards the way that they knew that they should have lived their entire life. Here's what I would say to you, and I hope you will hear. Yeah, you can't go back and plant a tree 20 years ago, but what you can do is plant one today. And whatever growth is there, whatever change can happen, whatever difference of mindset, attitude, heart, feeling, connection, whatever it is that has taken you away from the people that you love and the God that you love, you're not too far gone. You have an opportunity today. If you are listening to this, if you are hearing my voice, if you're hearing this scripture that can change your life, turn around and go in the right direction and continue and see what God can do as he redeems back, as he buys back the time that has been wasted and left behind. It's never too late for you. That's why he always is the one that we look to. And I'm gonna talk about that next week, dealing with Easter is never too late and you'll understand why. So let me just end today. There is a poem that you've probably read. You have probably heard this poem. It's one of the most shared ones. It's one of the most well-known ones. It is about the two roads diverging from Robert Frost. And uh, so if you've ever heard that poem, you probably recognize one of its most famous lines. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all of the difference. Well, here's what I would say. You probably don't know, as well as I didn't know, much about this particular poem, but can I just read something? There's a really interesting part of this. Not only the two roads diverging and all this, but it goes on and it says... There were two different paths that they looked. And as the traveler looks down one path and looks down the other, he looks and he sees that they look very similar on the surface. And so he makes a choice and makes a decision. And here is what he says in the stanza that you probably don't normally hear or have not heard. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted that I would ever come back. I'm going to say that again. Yet knowing how a way leads on to another way, I doubted if I would ever come back. I tell my daughters all the time to be very, very careful in their lives because relationships have momentum. I used to tell them all the time, look, hey, if this guy isn't worth marrying There's no reason to continue. I mean, there's just no reason because sometimes relationships have momentum. And before too long, well, this is just the next step. It's not what I want. It's not who I think God has for me. But I'm just going to keep going because the relationship just has a momentum. And it keeps going. I think that's what he's saying here. He's saying how one way leads on to another way and on to another way and on to another way. And before long, we can't ever get back 
to where the two roads diverged in the woods. So what he's saying in this poem is, I've got to be very careful to choose correctly so that I don't get on a path and my momentum and the one way leading to another to another take me away from where I need to be. If today you can't grasp what God is doing in your life, I encourage you to slow down even more because he has ceased the world practically and he has our attention in brand new ways. Do not miss the voice of God. As his Psalms have said, be still and know that he is God and he's got a plan even in the craziness of our world. Be careful that you're not going down a path that takes you away from the right one. Maybe today you find yourself at that crossroads. I encourage you to seek him and take the path that God would have you to take, not just simply the one that you want the most. I'm going to just say a prayer with you, and I hope and pray that God's word has spoken to you. And can I just remind you that the one that we're putting all of this faith in, he's seen eternity from start to finish. He's the one who says, before Abraham was, I am. He just is, and he is there for you. Heavenly Father, as we end our time around your word, please draw us close to you. And as you have paused our world in many ways, I pray that our attention would be where it should have been all along, and that is focused upon you. I know, Lord, that you have something to say and something to teach us, so may our ears be open. And Lord, if we have ever found ourselves at a crossroads, I pray that we would take the one that leads us towards you. God, we love you. We know that if the sun sets us free, we will experience true freedom in every part of our lives. Please help us to pursue you in that way. And above all things, God, we praise you for being the one who is the Savior that stepped out of eternity and into our temporal world so that we might be forgiven, so that when we do eventually step into eternity, we do so with you as you lead us to the place you have prepared. God, as we begin this holy week, may you be on our minds and on our hearts. And Lord, may we follow you with all that we are. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said together, amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time and for your attention, whether live or later. I hope that this has been a time around God's word that encourages you, challenges you, and blesses you, and help, hopefully helps you to just follow that path that God has for you above all things. Don't forget to connect with us. We were looking forward to EHC Spirit Week during Holy Week. I think it's going to be something you really enjoy. We want you to be a part of that, so make sure and connect with us via email or via Facebook. And we're going to end the way that we always do. We have just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. We love you. God bless you. Be safe.